Bond. James Bond. I suppose listening to the Beatles without earmuffs. Do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. I think you can kiss your trade franchise goodbye. Um, hi, welcome to a very special episode of Mental Movies slash crossover with Kiss Your Franchise Goodbye. We've got um, myself and Andy on the call, or it's not a call. On the call. Yeah, you know. Like, <laughs> we're getting we're, way too we're into in this. We're in old-timey like, radio, see? <laughs> we're working from home, see? Um, well, we've got a special guest with us as well, um, Mark, from our Kiss Your Franchise Goodbye um, on your her majesty's secret podcast is joining us again for another episode um and because of my birthday we have done a special episode um on the movie right so we we decided since we're at a very difficult and trying time in on her majesty's secret podcast in sort of the depths of uh, the Roger Moore era where we start watching some questionable Bond films. Let's take a break and watch something really, really good. And, uh, and apparently we, we even let... more questionable for Mark. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there. We So we, we talked about this on last week's episode of Kiss Your Franchise Goodbye. And I teased that the name of the movie is a three-word title, not a three-letter title. Um, but a three-word yeah, title, yeah, and uh, mentioned that it fit into the cadence of the blank, blank, where a um, where the last one is definitely a a noun. So uh, we asked people in the Kiss Your Franchise Goodbye Facebook group what movie they thought that was, and the number one answer that they said that they thought it was going to be was The Princess Bride. Oh. That is incorrect. Very it's good. It's a good movie. guess. Yeah. Yeah, very very good guess. Very on brand for us. We Yeah, it could actually possibly answer the question at the end of this. Yeah. No, yeah. I th- I think that is that's also true. The the second most popular answer, The Last Unicorn, which would I have also... never actually seen. You have never don't it is disturbing. Um, <laughs> other other popular answers: the three caballeros, the Little Mermaid, so Andy can sing along. I, I like that one. Thank you, thank you, JB. And the Fifth Element. Uh, none of oh, those are correct. Um, none. Good guesses. A lot of other random guesses in there. Did anyone guess it? No one. Not a single no person guessed it. Wait, so wait, wait. Bro- is Brian Young in that group? No. Oh, well, that makes sense then. Yeah. No, I, I, you know, you should, you should ask Brian. Hey, Brian, why aren't you listening to this podcast? Huh? Yeah, huh? what a jerk. Huh? 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 Brian. Hey, Brian. Brian, we listen to yours. Nope. Hey, Brian. Brian. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, I think Brian would would like this episode because we are going to talk about Brooke. <sighs> One of my all-time, all-time, all-time favorite movies, The Philadelphia Story. Why is it one of your favorites? I truly, like, when I look back on movie history and 
and moments that I feel like resonate with my journey in life. I, I really, well, let me, let me restate this. It was, um, oh, what, what was the, the one that you watched right after Mark? Um, it's a, uh, wonderful, wonderful life. a wonderful life. Yeah. Wonderful yeah. life. Was it before or after this? It was after. after. Yeah? yeah. Yeah. See, I feel like this is one of the first movies that really pushes the boundaries of like growth mindset and looking internally and really challenging yourself to accept flaws and move beyond them to accept like love instead of fear and to really like move your life in in a way that I've like strived to do my entire life and and I know like I know that it has its flaws like old movies have flaws we talk about James Bond every week they have flaws um but this movie like I just cried through it this whole like I just watched it this morning and it's been um especially with quarantine and things and I've talked about a little bit about it on my Facebook posts and things it's been a really hard couple of weeks for me I've gone to some some dark places internally um and questioning myself and growth and and where I'm at and uh when I watched this movie, like we we saw a couple of friends last night um, for the first time, like we saw people we haven't haven't seen anyone for the last two months, and we saw some people, and like I'm looking at the people around me, and pride gets in the way of love all the time. Like we let our egos, we let our fear, we let um, these perceptions that we have built up in the name of strength and in the name of um, purity really get in the way of real love and I know that I personally have been pushed to break those boundaries by people who truly cared about me and it was in ways that weren't comfortable and it was in ways that I wasn't ready for or that I didn't know I was ready for and when I watched this movie this week I just cried like I just like there's so much pain surrounding us and and they make it jovial in this movie and they make it kind of funny and and it can be seen like I know it's going to come up but it can be seen as manipulative but when you really love someone and you really push them to move beyond their own blocks their own buildup that's standing between them and truly loving themselves and the people around them it's just so beautiful and this movie is just so it is everything my heart needs. And Even when think, he sucks her. <laughs> I think that that's a that's a great reason why this fits for mental movies and why it fit for me with Kiss Your Franchise Goodbye. Even though this is very much not a franchise movie, there's no sequel, there's no anything. But um, I think that there's some filmmaking. Uh, I mean, th this movie sort of set a template for what all romantic comedies are are like until right. now. And it's a, like, m had a major effect on the culture. And that has always been, like, my number one. That's the number one question of Kiss Your Franchise Goodbye, is that I believe films are a two-way mirror that both reflect what is going on with the culture and then reflect it and refract it back 
even more intensely in certain ways to have their own effect on the culture. And what is that? And the Philadelphia story, for better or for worse, has had a huge effect on on films and filmmaking. And um, it's it's just a very big movie. Uh, Mark, Brooke, Brooke talked about how she came to this movie. How? When was the first time you saw this movie or became aware of it? The first time I saw this movie was a couple of days ago. All right. <laughs> and I'm so excited for this right. take on it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, that's good. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I enjoyed what, what it. Did, had you heard of it before? Was this something that you were like vaguely aware of or? So um, I've heard of the Philadelphia story. I knew about it. It was always in the back of my head to watch this. But never really got around to it. So this time around, since this is uh, Brooke's favorite movie of all time and it's her birthday, uh, you know, I I went ahead and bought it. So I bought it from Amazon, and my daughter and I saw it. Yeah. What three days ago now? Three four days ago. And because uh, she's watching every movie that I'm reviewing for the podcast, she's uh, my movie buddy. Um, and uh, overall, it's it's a sweet movie. It's 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 cutesy. You know, it's got that. Uh, a temporary love triangle thing that gets resolved at the end. Um, it, it, yeah, I, I can see why people like it. Uh, I don't know if it's one of my favorites, but I can see why people like it. But, but you had some definite feelings uh, that there were elements that you did not like with this. Well, the, the thing is, it's not so much that I didn't like it. It's just that uh, the topics we've been covering and uh, knowing Brooke and her background and you know how She's a she's a strong feminist. I was a little surprised that this is her favorite movie still, because the movie opens up with a guy shoving the girl he likes to the ground after first threatening yeah. to punch him in the face. Yeah, but and he there's didn't. a lot of he didn't. I mean, he he's uh, credit to him. He didn't punch her in the face, but he did shove her to the ground. And then there's this constant threat throughout the movie about socking people, uh, which is funny on one part. But on the other, and I had this discussion with my daughter, I was like, you know, like, it's funny that, you know, guys actually got away with this kind of crap back in the day. Like, right. this was expected. If if your woman is a little too talky or uppity towards you, you sucked her. And that's how, you know, you controlled her. So, like, I, I, I was just, it's weird because uh, the juxtaposition of Brooke being a very strong feminist to this being her favorite movie was just... <laughs> was just kind of weirding me out as i was watching this <laughs> well i mean and we've i mean we've seen that over and over in james bond too like how many times did sean connery slap you know someone that right right he also or rape with. or or rape stock. or yikes yeah, yeah. but uh, neither of those are brooke's favorite movies oh that's true that's i mean true. that's totally fair that's totally fair right um right. but also she left him yeah yeah and then she got manipulated by him to go back to mm. see that's the part that's hard <laughs> for me i don't think she got manipulated i think she did i think that someone got um hey, you know what I guess I, I, can, I guess i can let you finish i can let you finish i'm sorry when, uh, when we're uh, uh uh messaging each other uh back and forth when you were watching the movie uh I thought I thought like you were gonna try to make uh, uh, Taming the Shrew kind of case for this movie, and Taming the Shrew does get it right. You know, it's you know uh, Elizabeth. Uh, well, not is it 
a, a play by William Shakespeare. Yeah. Uh, but in, in the movie version, it's played by uh, Elizabeth. Uh, why am I forgetting names? Why Liz are we Taylor forgetting? and Liz Taylor is it and Richard uh, Burton. Burton. And uh, she has the upper hand. Uh, it, it seems like he has the upper hand throughout the movie. He controls her, but then she sticks it to him real good at the end. That's freaking perfect. If y'all haven't seen that version of Taming the Shrew, highly recommend it. It's such a beautiful movie. It's fantastic. It's funny. It's got everything. So I thought you were going to try to make that claim here, but it doesn't quite no. work because no. uh, C.K. Dexter Haven is gets his way but from the very beginning. But here's the thing, right? He, uh, it's not about him getting his way. It's about him truly loving someone. It's about like. Yes, but the, the movie also. And she a couple... loves herself enough to stop and take a step back and get really introspective with who she is. And at the end, when she's like, "No, I don't want to be got out of anything anymore. This is my life and my choices." Like it's not about manipulating her. It's about looking truly at the man who she's grown up with and loved her whole life, and that she put her pride in front of, and that she was unable to have those tender mercies to have that acceptance of human frailty for him she she pushed him away because he was not perfect and he did not meet her standards and in the end she was looking for him he is who she wanted to be with she just couldn't get past herself to let it happen and when she did she took hold of it and she owned it and she she made the decisions for herself but who he is is abusive and there's no evidence he throughout was. the movie. There's no evidence throughout the movie that he uh, one changed or oh. is. Going oh, to that's change. not true. Oh no, no, that's not true. He was that way because of he was an alcoholic, and he does not drink through the entire movie. He said, "I have well, given it up. I have changed my beloved um, whiskey and whiskeys for orange juice. They're a lighter shade now." Like he absolutely true. has given that's it up, true. and he has walked away, and he has says, "You're right, Red. I was wrong." But you weren't there to help me. You didn't take me in my flaws and my perfections. You left me. Like, okay. I, you're and right. And this is yeah. why I think you need to be a higher... He says you'll never be a first-class woman or a first-class human until you can learn to have a little acceptance for human frailty. It's not about even getting her back. It's about you're making a decision... You're making a decision off of your pride to marry this man who is notably beneath you not because of status or because of finances but because he's a douche like he is no more interested in who you truly are than you are in him like that's that's the part of the movie that fascinated me the most and i think the scene that i keyed in on more than anything is there's a scene between Kittredge and uh, and Tracy oh, where yes. he's talking about how he's going to build her an ivory tower and worship her and the way this is shot he is looking up at her the entire time she is towering over him that is that is they they both see this as like this is kind of this performative relationship right. that this is what is this is what this is going to be and the um, juxtaposition between them like she's in her swimsuit with her hair wet she's like 
at her rawest and he is in his suit and he is like on his knees and like yep. proclaiming his worship to her as she's recoiling from it and he can't even see it. Yeah. And and it's it, but it it shows what what their motivations really are and what this relationship would be. Um, I think, and, and one of the other things that I really keyed in on a lot of this is about, about class and, um, you know, uh, one of, one of the reasons why I've said before on this podcast that I really like the 1940s. Um, I, I love that mid Atlantic accent that we don't have anymore, uh, show up in movies. I love 1940s verbal patter. I love quick dialogue and, and, uh, you know, things like this, which is all over this movie. But, you know, the um, the the classism and sexism that still uh, lived on in this time, uh, you know, that would have been a perfectly normal relationship. Here's this guy who's up and coming. He he wants to be in the magazines. He wants to be a celebrity. He wants to run for Congress or governor or something one day. And one of the ways he's going to do that as this self-made man, he's going to marry into old money and he is going to worship this woman. Yeah. He's not going to love her. He's never really going to know her. Uh, they'll probably be happy in a sense, but they're never going to be real. And, and, and that's, you know, what, what this is setting up. And, um, so I, I don't know. I just, from a, from a filmmaking perspective, um, you know, I love this script, uh, you know, despite, you know, despite the, uh, despite the misogyny, despite the, the abuse. Um, I just, I love this dialogue. Uh, I love the acting. Um, and, and for a romantic comedy, it is, you know, really, um, really smartly shot and and done so in a very artful way uh and the man the way that they <laughs> the way that they uh light up Catherine Hepburn yeah uh, you know there are just shots where she like literally has a halo on her yeah and it's um <laughs> they don't make movies like that anymore I love that they don't dance around the classism or the sexism of this movie like mm -hmm. but they call it out like the scene between um tracy and mike at the library i just i cry through that whole thing like she's she's having these overwhelmingly like realizations that the limitations to her judgments are so wrong and she's looking at him and she's like i don't know what to think about you he goes, I thought I was easy to figure out. And so did I. But clearly I was wrong. And like, and then she still doesn't get it. She still offers him the house and like the patron woman that's taking care of, like that, that whole dialogue that follows that. But like, it would be so easy for someone of her class and of her wealth and of her like age, even on the eve of her wedding to not question herself. To not listen to the words of her father as he explains to her how the love of his daughter could have helped him but to, to question it and to internalize it and feel it and 
and then go get drunk off of it, right? Like, <laughs> there's a whole lot that happens in between. But yeah, um, I think it's I think it's it's fascinating the type of caliber of woman that she is, and the way that she examines classism and she examines like like Dexter says, you could marry Max the Night Watchman, and I would cheer for you, but not Kittredge. I may be rethinking. Uh, what I, I may be rethinking what, what I thought about the movie. I mean, I like the movie. Uh, Here's you know, the thing. It, it's a pretty cool There's rom-com. so many layers to the movie. Uh, I got new things out of it this time. I've owned it for, I don't know, 20 years. I got new things out of it this time that I didn't get the last time. And I know the dialogue backwards and forwards, but there's it's so there's so many subtle nuances of this movie. I'll tell you one thing. Um, I love the character of Nina. She's so, so Dinah. So, she's so brilliant. And uh I, I looked okay. a little into her background uh as an actor and uh she was actually pretty damn popular. Uh it wasn't uh the one who knocked her off her pedestal was uh Shirley Temple. I, that's yeah. what I read. Uh so she actually had a promising career, but she couldn't keep up the cutesy and here comes Shirley Temple and you know takes away what could have been for her. But she brings such beautiful humor to this movie, uh, and mm-hmm. break and breaks up uh, the tension really well. So I agree with Andy. This movie was shot very, very well. Like this is so professional. Well. It's a very well shot movie, uh, and as a rom com, it, it just it works. The only thing is that I was viewing this with a different lens, I guess, and I was I kept wondering why this was so important right. to you if. It, you know what really uh, got me? Uh, the father's speech. Uh, when he's like, he his, his wife is in the room, and he's like, well, wives put up with philandering, and let me tell you why. And I'm like, dude, like, whoa. Yeah. Like, and I, I totally get, I totally get how, you know, relations are, relationships are difficult. This happens, you know, people have extramarital affairs, and all. I, I'm not, I'm not uh, dogging them on that. You know, that happens in the real world. But the mm-hmm. fact that he's so cavalier about it in front of his wife and right. basically blaming his daughter like it's it's your fault because you know you weren't there to give me your love to guide me. I'm like, no, motherfucker, like you're you're the adult. Like like you, you can't be passing the blame on to your kid. Yeah. And and his you know, the mom is one of the worst characters in this movie because she just not only does she take it, she's okay oh, with I it. I love her. You really because she's pushing her daughter to marry the guy with cash. Because she doesn't like. Okay, so here's the thing about the mom, right? Like, if okay. you take this is this is one of the things I love about this movie, is you've got you've got Mother Lord, you've got Tracy, and you've got Dinah, right? And they so succinctly sum up the generations of what was wrong with sexism that it's like it's brilliant to me. Like the scene where she's like, I've taken the stand that I need to take, but now I have my pride and no husband. And then she goes back to, I wish that my husband could be here. And she, like, she's right. going through this, like this expansion. And as her husband is there, like I, the see like that, that speech from the father that I, I feel like human behavior is so multidimensional, right? Like you can take full responsibility for your actions and you can still see another person's hand in them and 
And I guess that's part of what I really like about this movie is that um, I've spent a really good portion of my life like taking responsibility for shit, a lot of which wasn't mine and a lot of which is, and learning how to decipher the two and how to still move forward. So like in my, I was just having this conversation with my, my sister-in-law last night. I was talking to her, I've had a really hard couple of weeks and she was complaining about um, her spouse and these different things. And I was like, you know, the, the problem is that there are things that you need and you have to learn how to communicate those things while at the same time looking at yourself and looking at your partner and, and taking ownership of what you need to take ownership. If you feel worthless, you will always feel worthless, even if you're with someone who doesn't see you that way. So you have to learn how to love yourself and allow space for the love that people are giving back to you because they do love you and you are worth it. You're just not seeing it. And I feel like with the dad, like he starts off and he's like, I know more than anyone what I have done wrong. That's why I left. That's why I wasn't here. And it's also why I am back because I love your mother. But Tracy, your inability to have kindness and love and show sweetness and softness, like that is affecting your life. Like I know he says it in regards to his actions and he's making a point of, of how it has affected him, but I don't believe that it is to shame her or make her responsible for his actions. I really truly feel like he is speaking to her in a way that says, it ain't gonna get better sis, unless you pull your shit together. The problems that you're seeing in mine and your mom's relationship. It could also be viewed with uh, as, as him telling her that she's employing too much agency on herself and too much individuality and she needs to give that up mm -hmm. find love and isn't that anathema to what we should be saying yeah i i just i think there's so many layers in all of them in the mom and dinah and the dad and i think it all speaks to this reoccurring theme in the movie of when you can have kindness towards others and yourself for our flaws then you can evolve and grow into the class of person that we say that we are okay accept that yeah i sort of i mean i i feel like i've i've said this several times on on this podcast of you know like let's let's be uh let's be cultural archaeologists and and look back at, right, right. at these things and and try to be like non-judgmental and understand that these were products of their time and you know judge them by you know what what this was saying about the culture of the time and what effect it then had on on said culture and there are so many elements in here that are problematic as fuck. Yes, and, there really are. <laughs> um, and um, and and there's there's also good things, and it's like, you know, like like with all of these historical artifacts, we have to take the good with the bad, and and I think there is a lot of good in here, um, and I think this 
you know, Brooke, as you said, says a lot about, you know, the, the, the generational divides between, you know, these, these three generations of women. Um, I mean, I, I also sort of look at this entire film and I'm like, all of these people are kind of bad people. I think maybe Liz is the only person who I kind of respect by the end of this movie. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, they all have problems and... Oh, I want to know your take on Mike. Um, well, he's, I don't, he's kind of going after a woman who's about to be married and he knows that. And he's, uh, um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Jimmy Stewart. I love Jimmy Stewart so much. Uh, you know, you ask me my 20 favorite movies and four or five of them probably have Jimmy Stewart in the lead. Right. And, um, you know, and he's amazing here. He won an Oscar for this and rightfully so. And, um, you know, I, I just, he's, he's great, but I, you know, he makes he's the movie for me on so many levels. <laughs> he, he does. Um, he's, he's also, he's this, um, he's this like chemical reagent where you have all of these sort of inert objects uh, orbiting around one another and you mix a little bit of him into the cocktail and suddenly they all become more reactive to one another and <laughs> they're um, you know and, and now suddenly it becomes uh, possible for Tracy to express herself emotionally and talk about what her real needs are beyond just you know what what is expected of her and what she what she thinks she wants and what society has told her she is supposed to want. Um, and that's done partially through art. Uh, but he's also, I don't know, he's hes kind of pissed at her and all of these people with all this money. And yet he sort of falls himself, finds himself falling in with them and sort of falling in love with her. Um, I mean, I think I think one of the biggest questions of the movie is, did did they in fact do anything on their swim, or do we trust him? It was just a couple of kisses, or I don't think they did anything. I, I don't think maybe they did there anything. was because he was maybe very there was some hand stuff. Maybe, well. maybe third base. <laughs> I, don't I don't I don't think so because the state of mind in which they were in was such like. It wasn't a passionate, a passionate like fuck everything. We're gonna throw everything to the wind. Like they were not outside of. They were intoxicated, right? But they mm -hmm. weren't at that level of intoxication to where they were doing things outside of whom they really were. And Tracy Lord is not someone who's going to go have premarital sex in a swimming pool. But hand stuff, maybe. Maybe. No, I don't even think so. Not <laughs> not at that time. That would have been that would have been shameful. But well, he did he say even... that he said he has rules about when people are any rude. No, right. that's true. He did he did say that and good on him for that. Yeah. That's right. Right. You know. Yeah. He's like, no, she'd had too many and he knew that and he wasn't gonna and he was less drunk than she was and he wasn't gonna press his advantage. Right. Again, right. Again, all these people out there who we have to explain consent to, 
and that it's not okay, Brett Kavanaugh, to take care of drunk ladies at parties or to take advantage of drunk ladies at parties. Speaking of which, they have though, this figured out. Yeah, uh, Uncle Willie though deuces his niece and then oh, uh, Uncle Willie and then pinches Elizabeth in the ass, and it's all yeah, like oh, he pinches everybody in the ass. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. so you Uncle you also Willie have is that very appropriately named. <laughs> oh, so once again, this is me. Like, why is this Brooke's favorite movie? Because they all see Uncle Willie for what a snake he is. Okay. <laughs> right. even, even the mother, even the mother is like, you can take Dinah in your car. Liz is coming with me. She's coming in my car, and you can take Dinah. Like we're no, no Uncle Willie. Yeah. You don't yeah. Yeah. Take... Let's let's send the underage girl with the dirty Stop old it. man. Nothing would ever happen with that. I said that you were going to say that. <laughs> Well, he's got fine. a point, Brooke. <laughs> okay, I said fine, okay? <laughs> yeah, anyway. No, but I, I, I know. I, I think that's, yeah. Yeah, I get it. And and to his credit, he does not seem to do anything to Dinah. No. He's still, she's still a child to him, so. <sighs> Good. At least the, the reprobate has some. But even, even Uncle Willie was like. Careful to play with fire, sweetheart, especially on the eve of your wedding. He's like, true, true. I'm a scoundrel and I know it, but no, not hmm, that sounds really bad of me to be saying it. Um, <laughs> assault is never the person's fault. I'm not trying to say that, but but I, I just, I'm shutting up now. Fine. No, I I know what you're saying. I think I'm I know not what you're saying it well. I'm not saying it well. <laughs> yeah, there are. You, it would do well for people to avoid certain circumstances. It's right. just like just be aware. Be aware. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that you put it so much better. What is it you really want? And I think yeah. that's mostly what he was getting to. What is it that you really want? Are you gonna play with fire on the eve of your wedding? Are you? Yep. Are you gonna do that? Okay, so I want to talk a little bit more about Liz because um, I, I mentioned Jimmy Stewart was uh, was nominated and won an Oscar. Uh, Ruth Bussey was also nominated for an Oscar in in this film, and rightfully so. And she is she's my favorite in this movie. I think I said I just I love her. I think she is a even though they're on like the down low and they are, um, you know, sort of sneaking into this thing on false pre pretenses, uh, she is still like a beacon of truth. And, you know, even, even when she's lying, she's like saying things that are true. Like, Oh, I just love taking pictures. <laughs> and, I don't know. She's just, <laughs> I, I don't know. She's, she's great. And, um, and I also feel bad for her because, you know, Kittredge isn't the only Baxter in this movie. Like, uh, right. you know, she sees the guy who she is pining after and he falls for another woman right in front of her. <laughs> and like, in, still in an hour. In, yeah. In like no time at all. <sighs> isn't she like Money Penny? Yeah. Mm. 
interesting. Yeah, she's pining. She's seeing that uh, he's falling for the other girls. And you know, I mean, unlike Money Penny, she gets the guy at the end, but she's an also ran, which is kind of sad. Yeah, I, I, Liz is the most tragic character to me because um, not because of how it ends, but just her journey. Her journey is painful. Her journey is sad. And she she loves him and she sits by and in 15 minutes of conversation with Tracy, she's unveiled that she's been married to plain Joe Smith and she like he was a rat and these different things. And Mike is sitting next to her and he's like, Liz, you are the darndest girl. And she's like, you've never asked. I'm not actually the darndest girl. You're just so self-consumed with. Yep your own story that that you're just unaware like we're here together he knows like she's on the back burner and he has no regard he cares for her he's obviously truly concerned with her on a specific level but it's more of one of need and support as opposed to love and um devotion and that makes me sad for her because she's amazing right she sees everything with real eyes she's one of the few characters that sees it all with real eyes the entire time she's the smartest one in our group maybe she should have socked everybody don't say sock mark If absolutely necessary, strike, but only if absolutely necessary. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, she's she's great, and she's got she's got a line for everything, and I just love her. Uh, so, I mean, we 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 sort of talked about Dinah too, and Mark. I think you wanted to talk a little more about Dinah. Yeah, because I mean, she's she's also great. She, Dinah's fantastic. Um, but I want to know what y'all think about what she's going through, how she's internalizing everything. I mean, she knows, she obviously knows what happened between mom and dad. Um, she sees what her older sister is going through, and there's three dudes that she went through. Uh, like, how do you think all this is affecting her, and how do you think this is going to alter in the future? Oh, I think it's fantastic because she isn't living in the world of naivete that her mother was clearly and this she isn't living in a role of acceptance she is like forming opinions and thoughts and exploring them on her own without approval yeah i somehow think that she's going to be one of the ones you know burning bras in the 60s like Hell I, yeah. I, I think she's she's had enough of men already at this age that she's going to be wiser to them when she grows up although i don't know if i see her as a bra burner i see her more as like the woman who's like she's just solid she knows what she will and she won't accept she knows what is and isn't okay for her and her life and her relationships and like i think she also sees the women in her life very clearly not just the men Right, right. I think she sees the fragileness of her mother and she doesn't push her mom and she doesn't test her mom the same way that she does with Tracy. But she sees 
the hardness in Tracy. She says it right away. She sees that Dexter's a man who loves her, but that clearly wasn't doing things that he should. I mean, she's fascinated by the idea of someone stalking her older sister because her older sister is difficult. <laughs> <laughs> but not not because she thinks that that's an acceptable behavior in a man. She sees the truth of her father and and what he's done with Tina Mara. Like, I feel like she is a woman who grows up and can see and accept the classism around her, but can also like see through it and and see what is and isn't acceptable for herself. Right. I mean, I so I'm I'm trying to like do some mental math here. How old do we think she is here? Fourteen? Oh, I think she's younger. Twelve? I would say eleven. 12. Eleven, twelve, yeah. For let's say for for ease of math, let's say, yeah, okay. Um, so then this is 1940. So then we know what's going to happen in the next five years in American history. That will mean she is graduating from high school around, you know, in like 1945, 1946. As the war is over, she's probably starting to date, maybe thinking about getting married in that immediate post-war period. Uh, if she has kids, then they are going to be part of the early 60s baby boom. Uh, and I don't know, like, I... Yeah, maybe she's not a... Maybe she's not a marcher or a bra burner, but I could see her having a subscription to Ms. Magazine and, like... Um, She's definitely you know, being... pushing the movement forward. Yeah. Definitely. I just don't think that she's like, I don't think she's searching to find her purpose. I think she is like moving forward in business, like taking over the the family business and taking over like, like she has a, a husband who she has married and that she has made a purpose with. Like if I had to compare her to any other character in another series I was I thinking of that to, oh what's her name from Downton Abbey um, the youngest sister Sybil oh Sybil yeah. mm. I think she's the that World War 2 Sybil instead of oh. World War 1 Sybil I think she is the one who is seeing it all and who is like I am in love with him and I am marrying him and he is much more than a chauffeur alright yeah. And then, and, and then tragically die of the flu. She doesn't have to tragically <laughs> die, but like she doesn't. She also doesn't need to be out in the streets. Like, like her her mission has such purpose. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Not that the women in the streets didn't have purpose, but I feel like women that were in the streets burning their bras were like coming into this realization, and they're letting their anger out, and they were like having a very purposeful movement. But I think she's beyond that. I think she's already like evolved through those feelings and emotions and hasn't lived by them for so long that she's behind the scenes making purposeful action changes and taking stands on things that are like improving her life and her kid's life immediately. That's what I see for her. I think I like yeah. seeing her as future Sybil. That's, that's, that's pretty cool. I like that. Yeah. I like that. That's a, 
a that's a that's a nice uh, touchstone. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, okay, let's let's talk a little bit about behind the scenes stuff because as um, as as much as there are problematic elements like within this film, uh, I think that behind the scenes, this is unabashedly a huge win. Uh, for for Catherine Hepburn, um, one thing before we before we start that, uh, we we had been talking like how do we tie this in to James Bond and uh, on on Her Majesty's Secret podcast and sort of fit that in. And I and found I would just like his... to say that everyone said there wasn't a way, but Andy found it. I found a way. <laughs> There's um, always a way. This this film was produced by. Joseph L. Mankiewicz. And I'm like, Mankiewicz, there can't be that many people in Hollywood with the last name of Mankiewicz, right? And I was right. Uh, his son, Tom, uh, it was a uh, writer on many of the Bond films, uh, starting with Diamonds Are Forever and um, finishing off with an uncredited polish on the on the moonraker script so both horrible the last six yeah the last six bond movies that we have talked about mankowitz has either been a co-screenwriter or full screenwriter on all of them and his father produced the philadelphia story so um there there you go so uh it it there is a connection to james bond so um but talking about this movie and and Catherine Hepburn, uh, a couple of years prior to this, Hepburn had been labeled box office poison. Uh, she had done a series of films that were viewed as uh, financial flops, uh, including including some films that are now revered as classics, such as Bringing Up Baby. Um, but uh, she was unfairly castigated as box office poison and no one would hire her so what does she do uh she goes to broadway and she puts her own money into this play the philadelphia story and instead of taking a salary says i will uh instead take a percent of the profits off the back end uh and get paid like so it, it, I don't think there was like a, a uh, like a SAG minimum or something, but so she that was, was the financer of the movie. Yeah. Oh wow! I did yeah. not know that. Impressive. And 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 well, and I then what it was happened? So well done. Yeah, and then what happened was she uh, they they got it they got it on Broadway, a huge hit on Broadway, and then. Uh, not only stayed on Broadway, but then toured for a little while. And after a couple of years, they said, let's make this into a movie. Uh, her good friend, Howard Hawks, uh, helped her secure the movie rights for it. And um, she helped push this into being a film uh, because no one else would do it. And um, so good on you, Catherine Hepburn. And, uh, you know, a film that, you know, as I said, I think dramatically changed uh, the 
the Hollywood landscape and the conception of what a successful romantic comedy would be um, because, you know, a woman who was beaten down by the system uh, went and, and made this her own. So uh, for that, I, you know, just. God, I love her. Yeah. Huge I, I like this movie even too. more now because of that. Yeah. And the fact that she saw the vision of where the character was going to go and the importance of her self-discovery and her growth, like, oh, God, I love it so much. I love everything about it. And, and she yeah. was so very non-conventional. Like, she was, she, she broke the mold of the norm back in the day. I think, w- w- which was part of what was led to her bl- being blacklisted. Um, I, I read, uh, I've read in a few articles a long time ago how used to like wearing pants and that used to antagonize people um so she would always do things to piss people off like being herself like she wasn't intentionally doing things to piss people off but she was just being herself and then of course we all know about her unique relationship with spencer tracy she was just a very unconventional woman during an age where conventionality meant everything yeah i love it yeah i love her yeah. Oh, and I, I should I should also mention um, uh, Hepburn was also then nominated for Best Actress for for this as well. So um, this was like a veritable murderer's row of, you know, that that just sometimes happens where, you know, you get Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actress, um, all from the same movie. And Did they all win? Uh, no, only uh, only Jimmy Stewart won. Bummer. So, yeah, bummer. Uh, and this was also nominated for Outstanding Production and Best Director. So, um, but it, this is generally considered like one of the best American-made films of all time. Um, and certainly of, you know, in the comedy or romantic comedy um you know it is it is seminal it is one of the the big big things um in fact you know we we talked about how uh we first um saw this movie i have to credit brooke with uh me seeing this for the first time uh because about Five, six years ago, I decided I was going to put together this like giant spreadsheet of all of the best movies that I had never seen before. And um, I like I went through the AFI top 100 and uh, IMDb's top um, top 200 and a, a bunch of other, you know, best of movies you have to see before you die lists and, and put them all together. And and then I had this this list of like five, 600 movies and said, how in the world am I ever going to tackle this? <laughs> and Brooke's like, you should start with the Philadelphia story. And I'm like, okay, well that, that's what I'm going to do. And I decided, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to start with a movie from the 1940s. Then I'm going to go to a movie from the fifties and the sixties. And I'm just going to go through it and then loop back around that way. Uh, and so I watched the Philadelphia story and then I watched John Ford's The Searchers as my movie from the 1950s. And then I stopped. And I didn't watch anything <laughs> else from it. Weekend. But I did watch those two movies because of that that exercise. So, um, And I've still got that list. And at some point, I will try to make my way 
systematically through it. I, I, which isn't to say I don't keep watching movies that are on that list. I just am not doing it in like a systematic way. Um, but I started with the Philadelphia story and, and like I said, that was like five, six years ago that I did that. So thank you, Brooke, for giving me the push to just say, we'll just start with that. So oh, you're very welcome. Uh, a good, a good way to start it. Um, cool. Uh, oh, I guess one of the other things, I guess we can talk about the box office for this movie. Um, this doesn't sound like a whole lot, but it made $3 million. So, yeah. And what is that adjusted uh, for inflation? Yeah, exactly. Uh, not, not as much as you would think. Here, wait, where did I put this? Uh, $113.9 million. So, I mean, that's, that's a decent amount. That's not, you know, that's not huge. But it was the fifth biggest movie of 1940. Um, and, and I learned something interesting about, uh, the box office of, of 1940. It is really messed up because depending on where you look, uh, there are very different numbers, um, of, because according to, uh, uh, most websites that have this number up there, uh, the number one and number two movies of, um, of 1940 were, Pinocchio and Fantasia um, because they have had numerous re-releases and so have made a ton of money. Um, but at the time, in fact, Pinocchio was considered a, a failure. So was not huh. actually a big movie in, in 1940, but have since uh, made a lot more. Um, and in fact, the number one movie in terms of what people saw the most in 1940 was a holdover from the previous year and a movie which has come up on this podcast a lot as a uh, as the number one inflation adjusted box office movie of all time Gone with the Wind I knew you were going to say that still still everybody's still going to see Gone with the Wind so Wow, that's so fascinating, though, that this movie would come out in contrast to Gone with the Wind. Yeah. Very, very different. Black and white, color. Um, very different views of of class and... Very um, different. Gender. Gender. And... There wasn't really race in this movie, unfortunately. That's one of the... Yeah. It's one of my problems with it. Yeah. It's a very, it's a, it's a, not a black and white movie. It is a white movie, but yeah, that is unfortunate. Um, but that, that leads me to my next thing. Um, you know, this, this isn't a part of a franchise, but Hollywood loves nothing more than a franchise. So I wanted us to think about, oh, what if, what if we made a remake or a reboot or a sequel, what would that sort of look like? And I just sort of wanted to blue sky, um, you know, if if we said, okay, let's let's redo the Philadelphia story. What's you know something that that we could do that would make this very 2020 rather than 1940? I know what I would like. Wow, 
This movie's 80 years old. That's crazy to think That's, about. That is crazy. Yeah. I, I know what I would like. Um, I would like Richard Linklater to take a hit at this and make a three, to, a three to four uh, series, uh, series, a three or four movie series about how they were once in love, they fell out of love, they found each other again, uh, they stayed together, and then the problems that arise when a relationship goes stale after some of course, he's already done something like this. But I'd like he to... has done that. <laughs> Very much those so. are great movies. And those are absolutely great movies. But I want to see Which these movies? two characters. Uh, before Sunrise, before Sunset, before Midnight. I haven't seen them. Oh, my God, oh, yeah. Brooke. Beautiful. You have to see Ethan them. Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy. Yeah. Uh, they will make you cry so yep. many times. You'll have to times. message me the names of them and I'll, I'll go get to them. Most definitely. Uh they have yeah. such natural chemistry. You believe every single thing they say and go through. And um, depending on what relationship you're in, you'll see yourself in it. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just so beautifully done. Uh, and it's about young love, matured love, and the love you have for someone, even though the time has crept in and done its thing. It, it's just so damn beautiful. You have to watch those yeah. All right, I will do that. Yeah, that's a that's a good take on it. I think Linklater would be a good person to um, to take this on. So yeah, that's a great idea. Um, Brooke, what what are you thinking? I don't know. Like I've been thinking through this, and I've been trying to place like. What are my feelings and where do I fall on all of it? Um, what are your thoughts, Andy? So I think uh, I, like Mark, um, thought about this as a more expansive thing. Um, I think that this would do well as a, yeah, as a broader, a broader take on, on seeing these relationships as they sort of go in and out. Um, but I thought to anchor the cast, it would make sense to go with a pair of people in the, uh, uh, in the, in the main roles that have, um, that have already been paired up several times in Hollywood already. Uh, so, are you uh, going to say Tom? No, I I was not going to say Tom Hanks and, um, Hi, Ryan. Uh, what's her name? Meg Ryan. Uh, Meg Ryan. Because I think that's been done. I think that those... I, think I was going to say that... I know I I compared it to You've, You've Got, got Mail. But I yeah. don't think they're the right... I don't think the strength is there. Uh, no, I don't. Uh, I, I don't think so either. So um, I, I was thinking of... Um, Oh, and now and now their names are escaping me. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone. Oh, uh, what was the name? At, um, that the one where it was Steve Carell. Yeah, they've been in a couple of movies together. Oh, well, yeah, that's true. La La Land. I forgot about La La Land. Yeah, yeah, they've been in several movies together. So, uh, I think Gosling in the in the Cary Grant role. Um, 
I think he sort of fits into that. Um, people people could believe that. Uh, and and where where I got bogged down was trying to come up with someone in the Jimmy Stewart role. Ryan Reynolds. And <laughs> I that might work. I was thinking maybe a little younger, uh, maybe Ben Platt. Um, I, it's so hard because how do you recast Jimmy Stewart? He has such a really specific energy. And so I feel like you have to go in an incredibly different direction. Um, and and then uh, the... And then I was... Here's the other problem is that then I was thinking that for uh, for the Ruth Hussey role, uh, Rosario Dawson, but then that's a very big age difference between yeah. the two of them to make that work. And so I was trying to think, you know, what... Yeah, so maybe you're right. Maybe Ryan Reynolds and and Rosario Dawson cuz that that age difference isn't isn't too far apart and that does make a little bit more sense. Um but I I was thinking of her specifically because um she kind of plays this role in uh a movie called Top 5 that Chris Rock did which I think is criminally underseen and underrated and um where she's essentially you Which know, following around. It's called Top Five. Um, Chris Rock plays this uh, um, plays this star who has gone through some major problems with alcoholism and a very public recovery. And she is writing for Rolling Stone, I think, and supposed to be writing an article about him. And... Um, you know, and she's just following him around for a couple of days. And uh, everywhere that they go, they end up asking everyone that they talk to who their top five are, uh, top five rappers. And it's just such a, I don't know, it's its a very different film. It's very unconventional. It's definitely not made for, you know, uh, your typical white people audience. And, but she is excellent in it. And, um, and I think she's just wonderful. I've always thought she's wonderful. So um I think she she'd be great in in that role. So I don't know. I I think I think recasting Jimmy Stewart is hard. And I don't know how you do that. Um but since you can expand all of this out here, what I definitely want to see is the the final, final thing after all of this is uh is what happens with um with those two after after all of this is done right so um yeah oh and and it's a definitely a period piece everything has to stay in the 1940s and uh -huh. um yeah the the film the film series really? has so to you're end saying stay in the 40s yeah stay in the 40s because i'm going yeah. in a totally different totally different place all right let's hear it yeah Okay. All right. Yeah. So here's my list. Here's where I've gone with it. I say we bring it to 2020, right? And Renee Olstead is going to be your Catherine Hepburn. 
Do you okay, know who, who she is? Okay, I'm sorry. Who remind me who she is? So she was in 13 Going on 30 when she was younger. With Jennifer Garner. Um, yep, with Jennifer Garner. She was in um Bachelor Lions. Did either of you see that? No, but she was in huh? Secret Life of an American Teenager. Yes. She was in oh, um, okay. and Space Cowboys. Midnight Game. Which one? Space Cowboys. Space Cowboys. Yep. She was in Space Cowboys. She was in End of Days. Um, she She's just a very strong... She's a very, like... Like, her stature, the way that she carries herself. Um, she's just very poignant and very um, elegant in the way that she, she carries herself. Like, I think she would be... Perfect. And she's not so super well known that you would um, expect to see her in a different role, like Amy Adams and uh, the one that mm -hmm. was in La La Land. What was her name? Yeah, Emma Stone. Name. Emma Stone, right? Yeah. Like they have this this expectation of a certain amount of humor, a certain amount of like charisma and and things that like I like that she, that. Renee Elstead's a little lesser known because she could come in with a very strong and very poignant um, character and it wouldn't seem off-putting to anyone. They wouldn't be expecting a different type of performance from her. Hmm. So I like, I like it. that about her. Um, for the mom, I really want the mom to be played by Jillian Anderson and have the oh. mom take on a totally new role. Like one, huh. like she has made the dad leave with intention and he has to win her back. He doesn't get to say those things in front of her and have it be okay. Like, I think Julian Anderson's amazing. Um, and she's not, she's not old enough for the role. I get that. I get that that's a lot of like ageism stuff going on there, but I just think she'd be an amazing actress for it. Um, and then the role of Jimmy Stewart would be paid by Shamar Moore from Criminal Minds because yeah. He is magic. <laughs> He's like a smooth glass of like the most delicious everything you could ever want. And he's funny and he's charming and he could come in and he could win someone over like that. And it would be believable. It would be so believable that she would be tempted away from the person that she has loved forever to like have this escape, to have this like, beautiful enticing and and masculine but yet like he is a masculine man who is definitely in touch with his feminine side who like not in like a, an overtly feminine way but like he that feminine energy he encapsules it and he's like kind and soft like mm, yeah <laughs> she would go for him <laughs> but then the role of um, well you definitely go for him <laughs> yeah that's why i would put him there <laughs> No, I agree. He he is he is incredibly underrated and right. really, the really, really good looking. Acting, the way that you yeah. can go from one extreme to the other. Oh my mm -hmm. god! Yeah, he's okay. So no, I agree. And then he's, for the, he's wonderful. The yeah, part of Cary Grant, and I know a lot of people would like kick back on this. Probably you two will as well. But like, he'll always be my Batman. I think Ben Affleck could be a great Cary Grant character for this. 
Like oh, someone no. who is flawed, someone who is damaged, but who like can like the way that he expresses his love to that girl in the town. Oh my god! Like hmm. I think Ben Affleck would be an amazing, amazing like dynamic actor for that role of being able to show firmness, but like cleverness and also kindness and softness and getting her to see and peel back the layers of who she really is to to exposing her vulnerable loving actual like empathetic and compassionate self like i think ben could do a great job on that i don't know who i would pick for the dad i don't know who i would pick for dinah but those would that that's the cast that i would put together okay yeah i want to talk about ben affleck Mm. i'm yeah no i like that i like that a lot you know, I want to play this game because you guys did it to me, and I want to replace actors and and uh, put the series in the present. So what I would do is I would cast Olivia Coleman as the mom because uh, I, I think she would play that perfectly. Um, in Cary Grant's role, I would put um, what's his name, Tom Ellis. That would definitely work for me. Uh, Amy Adams in uh Hepburn's role and for Elizabeth I would actually go with Phoebe Waller-Bridges and for Jimmy mm-hmm. Stewart's role I would go complete recast with Danielle Kaluuya oh that is a good that I is think, a really good one I think those five would work very well together yeah I'm trying to think of who I would pick for Liz yeah I started, See, I would I almost started... put Amy Adams opposite Renee Olstead for Liz. I love Amy Adams. As... But not not quite for Liz. She's a little too peppy. Hmm. Those are inspired. You guys, I think you guys did way better on the casting than I did. So. Hmm. You know who I would put for Liz. Who? Selma Blair. Oh, ah. Selma Blair. Yeah. I love Selma Blair. I love her too. I love her too. Uh, she's just one of those people. I don't like. Again, why I feel like she's didn't... really understated. Yeah. Why didn't she ever just like bust out way more? I'm just... guessing she chose not to. That's that's uh, how I've said it in my own mind. <laughs> she got sick. I know she, there, she dealt with sicknesses, and right now, what does she have? I think she has MS, right? Uh, yeah she's she's pretty sick but i think she also had she was one of the ones that had a me too uh yeah Uh, i think that's yeah i think that's correct there are things that kept her from being who she could have been who was brilliant loved her in hellboy oh so good in hellboy so good again she's one of the ones that was in the sweetest thing that we talked about the sweetest thing that's true yep she's amazing she is She's really, really, really great and understated. I absolutely love her. Um, I like. I'm disappointed in my casting, just in that it's still so prevalently white. But I think there would be other places to mix that up. I think one of the things about opening this up, also from outside of a, you know, an hour and forty minute movie. Um, is this, I mean, this was adapted from a stage play. Right. You aren't allowed to have like 50 different characters. 
right. if you are now in a TV miniseries where you can have four to eight episodes, um, I think you can bring in a lot of other characters Ooh. that, you know, make this very different. And, who, and I think that is, I think that's one of the keys and, and something that I like, you know, went went completely over even though i'm like i'm i was i was trying to i'm like okay it, if i want to keep it in the 1940s who can i put in here who could um who could sort of i mean the the very terrible term that i have to use is pass is who could have in the 1940s been able to make it into this kind of society soiree you know who i would and... have kittredge be hmm. oscar isaac <gasps> oh my gosh ah, he's too likable that's to be somebody he's who's supposed to be likable but he ex machina also... did you see ex machina yeah yeah i saw it but i mean it's you know who i would put because you're supposed to hate kittredge um miles teller <laughs> Oh my I, gosh! Because I hate him. <laughs> Every time I see his face, I want to punch it. You could also do like Daniel Henney. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm not familiar with Daniel Henney. Who's Daniel Henney? He was in um, Shanghai Calling and Wolverine. Yeah, I'm. Uh... I yeah, I don't know. Him. Anyway, uh, I think there, but yeah, I think you can you can get away with um, expanding the characters in here and being able to create new characters that are more diverse. And yeah. um, although I really like that, you know, the one idea of being able to bring it into the future is you can bring in a Daniel Kaluuya or someone like that. I think that's inspired. Um, if I were doing it in the present, I might also think about Lakeith Stansfield for yes. the Jimmy Stewart part. Yes, either one of those two. Have you seen uh, Get he, Out? He was um, he was one of the cops yeah. in Knives Out. He was the he was the main cop in Knives right. Out. And he, and he was, was also in Sorry to Bother You. Who was he in Get Out? Um, um the guy with a hat. The the other uh, remember where uh, they're having that party. And there's the only other oh, black yeah, guy yeah, 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 yeah. talks to him, and then he freak flips out. That that's him. And he freaks mm -hmm. out, and his nose bleeds, and he sa and he yells, mm -hmm. "Get out!" Mm -hmm. Yeah. God, that movie. Yeah. But he's the and he's the main cop in in Knives Out. Got it. Yeah. So, uh, but sorry to bother you. While well, one of the weirdest and most mind bending movies, I just again a movie I think that like I just I just absolutely love it. And um, I, I know why a lot of people hate it because it is very challenging, but I love it. Um, uh, oh, and he was in a really good movie earlier this year called The Photograph that nobody saw because it came out kind of right as coronavirus was starting to hit and nobody what was necessarily it wanted it. The Photograph. Uh, also, you know, sort of fits into this. He he's an investigative reporter, um, trying to track down uh, the story of this this photograph that that he has, 
uh, and it's in sort of intergenerational romance and um, yeah it's just it's just really nice about you know a lot of the same themes as Philadelphia story in a lot of ways too about you know breaking down barriers and you know being able to talk about what what you need versus what you want and uh, you know your idealized relationships and things like that um, I, I just think he's he's great um, yeah have you guys um, been watching oh, the Netflix series Hollywood I have not um, I'm, I'm trying to look up one of the actresses name from that show and I can't find it but um, I started watching it and it was quite confusing to me because um, they, they're presenting things and they're using some like factual people and some non-factual characters and some factual movies and some non-factual ones. And so I, I didn't want to look it up until the end, until after I had like gone through the whole, like I wanted to buy in to the belief of it right before I fact-checked all of it. And obviously I'm watching it and I'm like, hmm, there are some huge things here that cannot be actual because I remember when the first like African-American woman won the Oscar and for leading actress and things. So it's like some of this stuff can't possibly be real. But uh, one of the characters, her name is Camille Washington in the show, um, played by Laura, Laura Harrier. Harrier? She's absolutely gorgeous and she plays a character in the show that is was fashioned after a white woman but she comes in and is like no this needs to be played by someone of color like this i need to play this role and so she convinces all of hollywood that she should be in it even with all the racism and even all the different things that are going on and that she should play the role and i think that she would be like an absolutely fantastic tracy if you if you want to really spin everything around so that'd be my only other edit but you could really go some cool places if you made this movie oh definitely there's lots of opportunities to spread this out so overall yeah um that we're talking about a rom-com and, and we know this is brooke's favorite rom-coms but uh andy what's your favorite rom-com and brooke what's your second favorite since this is your first hmm or do you have a favorite rom-com? I don't. I, I don't know. Let me. Let me. I. I'm sure I do. Let me think about this for one second. Um, what about you? Hey, for me, uh, as cheesy as this is gonna sound, um, Notting Hill is probably my favorite rom-com. Hmm. I just love everything about it, man. Uh, the chemistry between Julia Roberts and and uh, what's his face is just so believable, and it's got the right amount of comedy. And kind of like the idea of a very famous uh, superstar falling for some regular Joe Schmo. I always liked it. Yeah. You know, I some of my favorites. I don't know how to narrow them down. I love Spanglish. Oh, that's so true. I love that one too. It, it did not get very good reviews, but I love it. It did. I absolutely love yeah. it. Um, I really, I think people were just expecting something different from Adam Sandler and they didn't get it. And I kind of loved that about it. Um, I have a very dear 
space in my heart for, um, oh shoot, I just lost the name of it. Um, oh, Sliding Doors with Gwyneth Paltrow. That is one of my oh, yeah, yeah. all-time favorites. Um, and you've got Mal and Princess Bride and this movie, obviously. Um, those are those are some of them. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. It's not a rom-com though. <laughs> I know. Yeah. But I love it. Far from it. It's so heartbreaking. <laughs> I know. Yeah. So uh you know that um You Got Mail is pretty much is it You Got Mail that's a re that's a remake of uh, the shop around the corner? Yes. Yeah, right. Um have you seen the shop around the corner? I haven't seen the original. I, no, I've always no. wanted to. I haven't seen it. Oh, really? Ah. It's really good. I'll have to, I'll really, really on. good. It's got Jimmy Stewart, so it, it. I really like it, and I, I struggle to determine as to which one's better. So, uh, what's y'all, the one y'all that watch it and let me know. Seattle is the remake of? That I don't know. The name of it. Sleepless in Seattle is a remake of. Uh, yes, and a fair to remember. That's, okay, that's yeah. the one that I was thinking. Of. I love that one, and I actually really like Pillow Talk. Like I like all the old ones. Yeah, Pillow Talk is cute. Yeah. I'm I'm having such a hard time because it's like, how do you how do you how do you compare all of these? Because like on on one hand like i i want to go like a very a very classic rom-com would be like either my best friend's wedding or while you were sleeping i really like both of those um i could go a little more like hard edge and go with like chasing amy uh again speaking of ben affleck I really like chasing so Amy. Good. It's so good. Also I love problematic chasing, in a lot of ways. But is it a rom com? Yeah, though? good. Uh, yeah, that that's an, a good question. Like, is it a rom com? Maybe. I mean, sort of. And uh, again, I could like. I I don't know if this specifically counts as a rom com or not. But um, does Scott Pilgrim versus the World count as a rom com? Yes. Yes. It's sci-fi. And the I'd have to put the sweetest thing in there. It's oh, almost definitely does count. Uh, and then forgetting Sarah Marshall is got to be somewhere in the mix for me. Okay, too. yeah, I, that one works. Yeah, I really yeah, I love, like that. I love that one. one. Mm, I don't know, and it's yeah, but it's it's hard to compare that to like um, you know um, oh. Why? Why am I forgetting the name of this right now? I'm I'm so dumb. Um, Marilyn Monroe and the two guys are in the band and Some they're like it hot. and they're cross dressing. Some like it hot. Yeah. Duh. Um, I mean that that is one of the most like perfect films ever made. Um, and I like I, I, it, it just. 
it's just so hard to compare like that and the Philadelphia story to like forgetting Sarah Marshall. So I don't know. Yeah. I love forgetting Sarah Marshall. Yeah, it's a great movie, <laughs> man. Yeah, I don't know. But, uh, but what it's I, interesting. I guess... Like I'm thinking through all these movies that we're that we're speaking of, and all of the like quote unquote traditional rom coms, and they are all like excruciatingly white movies. Mm-hmm. Well, and one of the things that that I was thinking about is how they are mostly a decade or more old. Yeah. We have like we have Although just stopped they're... making rom-coms. And yeah, and yeah. and the ones that are getting made are more diverse. Crazy Rich Asians, I uh, love that always one. be my maybe. See, I was um, going to say Crazy Rich Asians. Um I was also going to say Crazy Stupid Love, but that one doesn't quite break out of the mm -hmm. box. But. Yeah. But, but I mean, Crazy Stupid Love, that's Still. more than a decade old now, right? Right. But I know. I was going to say, no, oh, because, cra oh, wait, that one is. <laughs> yeah. Never mind. It is that old. Yeah. We just, you know, we, we've stopped making rom-coms and, you know, I guess when we do, they're, they're more diverse, but, you know. Um, you know, it's, I mean, I mentioned the Lakeith Stansfield movie, The Photograph, that's kind of a rom-com. Uh, it's more of just a straight romance drama, but it, there's some comedy elements in it. Um, yeah, which is, was, which is uh, just really unfortunate, you know, in terms and, of and recent... I think we need... Yeah. In terms so of recent a, movies... There's that... a fairly recent Netflix show, movie that came out. Um, called uh, To All the Boys I've Loved Before. Oh, good one. Yeah. yeah. It's so good. And it's definitely like in the teenage rom-com like genre. But I watched it with my daughter because she really wanted to watch it. So I watched it with her. And it was, it was so smart. Like, I don't know if it was in the first one or the second one where she's, I think it's the second one. She's looking at having sex with her boyfriend and she's like, and her best friend sits her down <laughs> and she's like, listen, if you're gonna have sex with him, here's what you need to know. You have to know how to take care of yourself first. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh my God, this is the most brilliant advice I have ever seen in any movie that one woman gives to another. <laughs> like, Know how to get yourself there, learn how to take care of yourself, and then whatever happens with him will be fine. Like, you'll be great. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I was like, this is the kind of rom-coms that I want my daughter watching. And that one, that had a very diverse cast. Not very, but it had a diverse cast and I, I really liked it. Mm. Oh, uh, Love, Simon, which came out last year, a little bit more diverse and, and, uh, and, and queer. So, yeah, you know, but yeah, we just, we don't make rom-coms anymore because we make franchise pictures. Everything's got to be, you know, a superhero movie. And um, so they can put put it on a lunchbox, which is unfortunate. But, you know, sort of... I would of... put masturbation on a lunchbox, just saying. <laughs> you would. I would. <laughs> no lie. Um... With with handy easy instructions, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but um, 
yeah, I think that's I think that's kind of sad. I wish we I wish we saw more rom coms. Um, and uh, I am glad that we're seeing them on Netflix and we're seeing them in other places like that. That yeah. Um, but every every movie studio, uh, I I've heard it said, uh, you know the the movie studios today would rather uh, lose a hundred million dollars trying to make a billion dollars than uh, make half a billion dollars by making five seventy five. Uh, Seventy-five million dollar movies. That's just so stupid. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, but they don't because to them it's like, well, it's it's as much work to do, you know, a seventy-five million dollar rom com as it is to make a, you know, two hundred million dollar tentpole franchise film. So we may as well only make tentpole franchise movies. I think that's why I'm really loving what I'm seeing on Netflix, like this this series Hollywood. It's a rom-com. It's like a TV rom-com series and it's it's drawn out and it's somewhat predictable and they're changing the past and it's it's an America that I wish we had lived in, that I wish we had. But it's charming and it's got hetero couples in it and it's got queer couples in it and it's got like multi-ethnic couples and they're like making it gets beautiful. It's a it's a really beautiful series. And we're finding these things outside of the traditional movie theaters, and they're great. They're really, really great. That's awesome. So let's let's remake Philadelphia Story for Netflix. Um, All right, I'm going to start working on it. Who's that? Yeah. Well, I I'll look forward out. to your script treatment, Brooke. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, Uncle Willie's out. Anything? Anything Uncle else? Willie's we. Out. <laughs> Anything else uh, on on this before we sort of tie her up? Uh, you know what? Uh, I, there's a movie that uh, uh, I don't. I didn't hear anybody mention. It's called The Big Sick. It. I, oh yeah, it, it qualifies as rom com. Uh, That's definitely so good. a good rom com. Uh, if y'all, if whoever's listening, if y'all haven't seen it, do yourself a favor and watch this. It's so Watch good. It Watch it now. Kumail uh, Nanjiani is so good. And it's basically a story of he and his wife. Um, and it's got some and tragedy it's in it. It's a real story. It's a real story. Yeah, this actually happened. Yeah, it's yep. their real story. And it's so good. It's fantastic. So do yourself a favor and watch that. Um, it's still not my favorite rom-com, but it's right up there. And I have not watched it yet, so I don't know if this is <gasps> Andy, a recommendation. Andy, what the hell? No, 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 no. I have I have watched The Big Six several times. Oh, okay. What I am about to say is I have not watched this that I am about to mention yet, but it just came out this weekend on Netflix. It is called The Lovebirds, and it is oh, a rom-com starring Kumail Nanjiani as well. So Yeah, I've folks, heard it's if, fantastic. It's on my list for tonight, actually. Yeah, I've also heard good things about it, and I will maybe eventually get to it. Like uh, everyone who's talking about like how they're binging all these shows and catching up on all these movies and stuff during quarantine, I don't know where y'all are finding the time. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm consuming less media during this time because I've got all this other crazy stuff going on, but um well, yeah. I have to tell you guys, we watched a movie with my kids last night, and I, I know I, I mentioned that as we were texting last night, but um, we watched 
Scoob, the new Scooby Doo mm -hmm. movie. Yeah. Which was surprisingly much funnier than I expected it to be. And that was kind of my comment at the end. I was like, oh, that was really good. It was much better than I thought it would be. And and Chip was like, yeah, me too. I really liked it. And his son goes, yeah, it was good. And then my little daughter, who's been around me podcasting her whole life, goes, yeah, I was expecting more. Oh, damn. The <laughs> <laughs> critic like, is born. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, yeah. Good, but I was expecting more. And Chip was like, Oh, really? <laughs> what were you expecting? She's like, I don't know. It just didn't, it was just missing something. And I was like, Oh, kid, I've ruined you. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, it, it, it's, it's almost kind of sad. Like, I'm, I'm glad that it's out there and I'm glad that people are enjoying it. Um, but that was supposed to be the first, uh, like in theater Scooby Doo movie ever. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, then they pulled That's it. Sad. They pulled it back because um, all the theaters are closed and Wait, just didn't, released it. Didn't uh, that live action one hit theaters? No, animated. Sorry. Oh, animated. Yes. Okay. Yeah, there were okay. there were the two live action Scooby Doo yeah, and Scooby Doo were... Two Monsters Unleashed. Yeah. Which, which are both yeah, these are pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not crazy yeah, about them. Yeah. Okay. Well, we can we can discuss them if we ever get around to doing Scooby Doo on this. It is a it is a franchise. <laughs> it is a franchise, definitely a franchise that we can talk about. Um, but well, no, thank that's you guys it. so much for doing this for my birthday. It really happy yeah. birthday, Mark, Brooke. Thank you, thank you for watching it. Thank you for having your own opinions on it. Thank you for being open to hearing different perspectives and for of course. having a nice conversation. Yeah, of course. this was happy. good. Um, back to the salt mines next week for James Yay. Bond as we go Watch into treasure. the 1980s with For Your for Eyes your Only. Eyes only. Only for so, you. So. Are we going to do Eyes Wide Shut next? Mm, oh, <laughs> hey. <All right. laughs> what the. Next birthday, Brooke, if you really want to do that. <laughs> I've never actually seen it myself. So. Oh, okay. Well, there we go. There we go. All right. Um, well, thank you, guys. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Here. Thanks for thanks for listening. And um, uh, gosh, we we love you all so much. Oh, and since we're <clears throat> since we're posting this on both mental movies and um. And kiss your franchise goodbye. Why don't you go check out the other podcast and subscribe to it while you're at it, whichever one yeah. of these that you're listening to. And we'll yeah, go go subscribe to the other one so that whenever we update them, you're gonna you're gonna get both. So no, no matter. And for mental movies next week, we'll be doing Invisible Man. We'll finally be bringing that to you. So finally, we can get around to Invisible Man arguing about it. Yay! I'm I'm excited for that. Uh, Invisible Man and For Your Eyes Only. Yes. So, um, okay, great. Thanks, everybody. Bye, everyone. We'll see y'all next week. Bye-bye. Big kiss. <laughs> Don't say sock, Mark. Bye.
Thank you. That will be all. God damn it! That's not all. Because if one of those things gets down here, then that will be all. Then all this, this bullshit that you think is so important, you can just kiss all that goodbye.